Hello, I'm Alberto Salvato. Welcome to Crime Time, a Virginia criminal law podcast. I'm here with Anna Dvorak, Anthony Norse, and Ann Thayer. Enjoy the show. So here it is, legal disclaimer, because we are lawyers and we've got to write one. So if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. We sincerely hope you are listening to this podcast for its entertainment value and not with the intention of acquiring legal advice for any individual case or situation. I mean, come on, you wouldn't take advice from someone you have never met or spoken to directly, right? If you were bleeding profusely, you wouldn't listen to a podcast in hopes of a bandage somehow materializing over the internet and onto your 3D printer. Seeking actual legal advice can be just as important as a tourniquet. The hosts of this podcast are in no way intending to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Sorry, we are sure you all are great people, but we cannot stress enough how little we know of you and your case. And rather than risk an awkward moment, let us just remember we have never met. Nothing on this platform should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. We are just a group of friends with differing opinions and viewpoints, which we will try to explore through discussions of current events, law changes, and whatever else floats our fancy. So for the next few weeks, we are going to be missing one of our fellow podcast hosts. And to explain that a little bit, he prepared a special message for all of our listeners. Who likes to rock the party? I got to let you in on something. I've been diagnosed with a brain tumor and I'll be out for quite some time. So I won't be able to do the podcast with you all. And I just want to say that I'm sorry to let you down. And I know that you guys aren't nearly as good as I am, but you'll have to try to be funny. And Anna, try not to be mean. (laughs) I'm sorry. Were you saying something? (laughs) I I just put those out there. (laughs) Tony, you got to stop talking so much and taking everyone's time away from the podcast. You know, I think you do anything for attention at this point. (laughs) And Anne, do me a favor, please stop beating people up. You are on probation and you don't want to risk going back to jail. (laughs) Plead the fifth and I pity the fool. Anyway, everyone have a great couple of weeks. I hope our listeners continue to listen on. And I hope that you guys do me proud and don't embarrass the legacy of me and my great jokes. (laughs) And hopefully when they remove here. (laughs) Hopefully when they remove this tumor, I'll still have those jokes coming at you you'll have those jokes and more you'll be back before you know it cool all right y'all have fun and hopefully either chris holly jim freeman and blake woolison will do me proud when they sub in as guest podcasters for crime time with virginia lawyer alberto's talking about himself again in this episode oh crap it's a roadblock could be a horrible situation any one of us or any person could be going out, spending a night out, having dinner with your wife or your, your partner or your spouse, and you're heading home on a road that you're very comfortable with and familiar with, and all of a sudden you see up ahead in the distance what appears to be a line of cars stopped with a whole bunch of police officers. And you think to yourself, oh, crap, it's a roadblock. How many drinks did I have? Are they going to smell it? Is it going to cost, cost me a, a hassle? Am I going to be pulled out of my car? Well, today we have a special guest. It's Matt McConnell. Matt McConnell is an attorney who's been practicing for 
quite some time. I know it's been over the 20 years that I've been practicing, but Matt's one of the most talented people I have ever met or seen at a bar playing and singing piano or well, playing the piano and singing while he does the, the two simultaneously. It's actually really a, a, incredible. Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? So I'm Matt McConnell and uh, Alberto's right. I've been practicing a lot longer than I want to admit. That's why I have a lot of gray hairs of what's left of my hair. I do enjoy going to bars and singing. That's correct. What do you like to sing there, Matt? Uh, my go-to song is Piano Man, of course, and I I do use the harmonica when I play the piano and do Piano Man. It's, it's actually go-to. really impressive. But how long have you been at I know you don't want to admit how many years you've been doing this, but just so, so I, I, I want our listeners to understand that you are a very seasoned attorney, and I also like it when people have been practicing longer than I have. Started in 1991, so I guess we're at the 30-year mark at this point. Woo. That's awesome. Congratulations. We brought Matt on because he recently had a case, which was a roadblock. And roadblocks are are very interesting because they have a whole different set of rules because we're not just talking about reasonable, articulable suspicion to pull somebody over, which is what's required when any traffic stop, any real or normal traffic stop begins. Uh, With a roadblock, a police officer just sets up some cones and next thing you know, all anybody can be stopped. So maybe we should talk about or think about what the police officers have to establish before they can get a roadblock going. Well, as you all know, that typically for a robot to be set up, there has to be a plan that's put together by the police department, and it has to be very specific as to the location and the duration and how the police are going to stop, how many cars, how, and it's supposed to be a very minimal intrusion as far as time, as far as stopping people. But there usually has to be supervisors there, making sure that the officers are doing everything according to the plan. And this is where things get, I guess, screwed up for them for the court purposes. They come in oftentimes in the case you referred to that I recently had, they couldn't establish, they couldn't figure out what the plan was. And also the lieutenant who was supposed to be there to talk about it wasn't available. So it wound up being kicked because they couldn't get everybody there to talk about how it was set up, what the procedure was, and who was supposed to monitor it. So that was fairly easy from my, my point of view to get that tossed. But oftentimes when they get everybody, if they have all the officers there and they have the plan there and they can establish all that, then it's a matter of what happens at the scene and we can talk about how one can avoid that, I suppose. One of the issues, and I think Tony, I spoke about this or, or we were talking about this earlier. One of the issues with the roadblock and, and what makes it unconstitutional is if there's unbridled discretion on the officers. What does that mean, Tony, as far as discretion and why is it a problem? What does unbridled discretion mean? Yes, I, I yeah. <laughs> I think is it, un- is it unbridled or unfettered? It's uh, unbridled. It's unbridled. It's unbridled. They're like horses. So <laughs> there is actually case law. The case that you were mentioning, Alberto. Despacito. Uh, I'm sorry. See? <laughs> <laughs> says unbridled means completely at liberty, unrestrained, ungoverned, unchecked. And so if those are at play, then the discretion is unbridled and that goes too far in what the officers are allowed to do and makes the roadblock unconstitutional. So the whole idea for these roadblocks is to avoid when an officer just says, hey, just in the middle of the day, I'm going to call a couple of my colleagues and just set up a couple of cones and say, I'm going to stop every other car or I'm going to stop cars with a particular driver in because to pass the constitutional muster, they really, the police officers can't exercise any discretion. They should have every car stopped or maybe in the plan, I've seen these before, like every other car or every three or four cars, because they want to make sure that the line doesn't get too long and causes a delay or too much of a delay for people. But what do you do when you come across one? For instance, if you see one in the in the distance and you have an out, can you make a U-turn and, and drive away from a roadblock? Uh, does that give them reasonable articulable suspicion to pull you over because it looks like you're trying to avoid it? Does anybody know that? 
I do well. There's been a variety of cases on that, but one of the important cases I think was an old back in 1989. I think it was. I'm looking at my notes. Murphy versus Commonwealth, where someone took a legitimate right turn and went down to a dead end street, but that was deemed to be that's okay because the court said there are such maneuvers are legion in number. So you can make a legitimate turn uh, and go down the street to avoid it, even if it's a dead-end street. But there have been other cases that came out since then where you do a U-turn in close proximity to it or some kind of uh, crazy driving behavior to avoid it. That's going to reasonable articulable suspicion to pull you over. So the cases are mixed on that in Virginia, but you can legitimately avoid it if you have a a side street you can pull off to because for any number of reasons, you might be going down that side street, not necessarily to avoid the roadblock. It could be you live down on that side street. So if it's a little bit your reason, friend lives down there too. Your friend lives down there. Yeah. You, you are going doing- the wrong way and you're just turning around because you missed your turn or something. I think the closer you get to the roadblock to turn around, the harder it's going to be to overcome that, that the purpose wasn't to evade it. And that's going to be something that your attorney would have to explore. I mean, you might be going over to a buddy's house to adult share marijuana. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is a thing that could happen. And I think that, What's, what's ironic is if the roadblock has done it poorly, like if you do a U-turn to create, you you create independent reasonable articulable suspicion that you might be intoxicated to try to, when you try to avoid the roadblock. So it's sort of like before, maybe you had a chance at beating something, but if you do a illegal driving maneuver or do a UE where you're not allowed to, that avoidance is it's kind of ridiculous, but it's enough to pull you over. And when you're nervous and you see a roadblock, you're not acting normally. And if you've been drinking, the chances of you making another mistake that they can, as Anna said, point out your bad driving, that's going to get you in even more trouble. So your nerves can get to you too. I had a case where the guy was driving into the roadblock and hit the freaking traffic cone on the way in. Not a good good start. start. (laughs) I had a hypothetical. Let's call it a dream. I had a dream where a hypothetical client (laughs) ran into a cone. (laughs) uh, When I went through Mothers Against Drunk Driving, we're just trying to throw pamphlets in our car. And I was like, get out of here. (laughs) They were like literally trying to reach through the windows and we were like, go away. (laughs) Are you, were they working with the police and doing it? They were out on the scene trying to hand pamphlets. It was over. It was in Loudoun County. It was a few years ago. Information. And so, yes, and that, I, you know, come to think of it, I've seen that in plans before. So lawyers are going to know this, but when you have a DWI as an attorney, you're defending it. You, well, most attorneys are going to raise an issue. It could be a motion to suppress or just really in the case in chief, the prosecutor should establish that the roadblock is constitutional. So you'll have everyone there who is involved in planning the roadblock and you have people who are in charge of actually putting it. So quite frankly, it's, it's not the most efficient and cost-effective way of stopping DWIs or even checking for licensing because on roadblocks, generally speaking, you're, you you stop a hundred cars and maybe out of every hundred you have one or two who are DWI and you might think to yourself, well, that's enough. But to get those two cases prosecuted, they have to bring a lot more into court and it just keeps going on, dragging on, and it's much harder to prove because these roadblock plans are scrutinized by great attorneys like Matt McConnell and. The three other podcasters here are the besides myself, but there. <laughs> well, and you also have fake checkpoints where they announce they're going to do one and then they don't. And then I think they kind of stick around that area to see where people are going and who's avoiding that area. I mean, I think well, they're called like phantom checkpoints. And I think there's some case law on that from other circuits too. They definitely announce, like, I know they de- announce like on the local radio, like WTOP or something like that, that there's going to be a checkpoint, especially July 4th, other times. Really, just announcing is just trying to deter the number of drivers and 
doing the stupid things that drivers do when they celebrate our no, but what July I'm saying 4th is they or anything else them like and that. then don't do them is my point. Like they kind of hang out in those areas to see who diverts from where the checkpoint's going to be. So then they can try to catch people trying to avoid it. So it won't be an actual checkpoint. They're just looking for bad drivers and reasonable suspicion to stop cars. Yeah. Although is it, you know, at some point you're like, is someone stupid enough to be like, Hey, we've, we've funked, we've announced this, that this is going to happen at route seven and whatever. And, you know, then they pull people. I mean, it's like, okay, it's been announced that there's a Friday checkpoint there. So either Uber or or do something else. I mean, there's a certain level of a just a clueless factor that happens with some of our hypothetical clients. But the difficulty about roadblocks and what makes us all disturbed by them and why they have to fight to make them constitutional is their very concept is very undemocratic. It's very un-American. Well, let me ask you, let me, let me follow up on that. I, I mentioned this. Uh, in the case of Indianapolis versus Edmund, Justice Thomas wrote a dissenting opinion, literally a, about a half a paragraph long. But I'm going, read, I'm going to read this to you because it's important the way he says this. He writes, taken together are decisions in Michigan versus SITS. And that was the original DUI roadblock case that they decided was constitutional back in 1990. And United States versus Martinez Fuerte, that was the roadblocks for immigration. Taken together, our decisions stand for the proposition that suspicionless roadblock seizures are constitutionally permissible if conducted according to a plan that limits the discretion of the officers conducting the stop. I am not convinced that since and Martinez Fuerte were correctly decided. Indeed, I rather doubt that the framers of the Fourth Amendment would have considered reasonable a program of indiscriminate stops of individuals not suspected of wrongdoing. But since nobody wanted to advocate overthrowing these cases, I'm not going to talk about it without briefing. So my point was, he, he correctly looked at it and said, these cases were never decided correctly. I don't think the framers of the Constitution would ever like the idea of stopping people at checkpoints like Russia, show up your papers, whatever. And that's my whole point is, why are the roadblocks ever held to be constitutional? You're stopping individuals without any suspicion of wrongdoing just to check and see if they've got something wrong. And if you decide that stopping people to see if they have drugs is unconstitutional, then why is stopping people for DUI constitutional? Right. So how is that ever going to change unless you have cases in Virginia that end up, or anywhere really, that end up going back up to the Supreme Court for them to, to readdress the whole roadblock issue? And I just don't see it happening in in the future, partially because I don't think there are that many roadblocks coming up, not like they used to. Ten years ago, you you almost had like a a roadblock docket, much like they have the blood dockets now in many of these jurisdictions. But the roadblock docket was set aside because you had to have so many other witnesses. Uh, But they still occasionally happen. You may have a roadblock, not just for traffic concerns, but they may put a roadblock if there's some sort of uh, what they deem an emergency, trying to find a murder suspect in an area. They'll just start stopping people. And if they find somebody violating the law, there's a whole different analysis as to whether or not that roadblock or checkpoint is constitutional. But, you know, I, I don't see it changing in the near future, especially in Virginia. They're still quite valid. and. And many of the, I guess, more rural parts, they probably, uh, they, maybe they don't use them at all. But uh, what, what do you think? Do you think they would probably use them more more often, like in a more rural area? Or is it more like, because you, you could argue a roadblock is going to affect less people on a road that's dr- uh, driven less. Well, I think they tend to do them more towards the city around <clears throat> local bars and other venues where they know people are drinking, they, they do that purposely. No, although, last time I checked this, and it's been a while, those plans are supposed to be formulated based on statistics about how many DUIs have been in that particular area. At least it used to be that way. That they're supposed to show that there's been a, a pattern of or history of DUIs outside of a, or, you know, a particular location. That's why that goes in the plan, why they're setting one up. 
Right. But that's, of course, if they're, if they're out there trying to get the DWI, but they could also set up a roadblock for licensing checks. Uh, so they have to have the same analysis too. They have to have the, the research showing that in that particular area, perhaps they're less likely to have license or there's an issue with many people driving without a license, which is kind of leads me to my next question, not question, but my next point. What do you all think about the constitutionality of roadblocks for immigration purposes? Well, as I said, the, the Martinez Fuerte case is still on the books uh, as far as, and I, I'm, I'm wondering nowadays with all the headlines we have about the immigration situation down in the Southwest, if they are doing more and more of those roadblocks to try and see who's in cars. And the Supreme Court held that many years ago that that was okay. But I'm, I guess the question will be brought up is how far away from the border can you set one of these up to justify the, the reason behind it is to check for illegal immigration? Right, like having one, it would be different if you have one a roadblock out in Virginia or Gaithersburg, Maryland, to see if somebody didn't have papers versus having a roadblock just maybe a mile away from the border where people may possibly be crossing. But I, I'm, I'm going to still go back to the, my original concept that I think that it would be interesting to have somebody finally get one of these cases in Virginia and try and take it all the way up. I, I literally have not had one with that kind of fact pattern for years. And the ones I've had the last few years, and, and you were right, they really have gone down in numbers. There was a time 20 years ago when I had maybe almost say one or two a month, but I had a lot of frequency of at least once a month I was doing a, a, a roadblock case. But they have really, I guess, I guess they stopped doing them and they still announce it. But, but it's going to be harder for them too with not being able to use the odor of marijuana and which would have been a huge way for them to de- try to detect anyway, people that were impaired using marijuana. So even though Virginia's made it legal, maybe they'll go back to something like that, but you got to take a look at what other things they're going to be observing if they are stopping people for those things. Does anybody remember the flashlights the officers used to use that probably they could detect alcohol, the odor of alcohol when they put the <laughs> flashlight in your car? Yeah. You know, I, remember, yeah I, just, I remember seeing, I think I saw an officer walking around with a magazine that I guess they have magazines that sell certain equipment for police officers. He's like, oh, check out this flashlight. It's I forgot what they called it. I was like, what? I'm like, are you serious? They, they, literally, they literally had flashlights that had some sort of a detection on it that could detect the odor of alcohol with, inside the car. So when they came up to your window, that you rolled it down, they kind of put the flashlight in the window and would try and see if they would detect the odor of alcohol. My point was, I'm not rolling down the window because the air in this car is my air. It's my car. You don't get to check my air in my car. So I, I would always crack the window about a half an inch and say, what can I do for you, officer? And just stand there. or sit there, rather. <laughs> Matt was worried the light would break. How many times have you been through checkpoints? <laughs> I, 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 I've gone through about a half a, do- about a, half a dozen. Holy and, mackerel. And they, uh, they, they used to do a, really, a constant one on um, – Old King Mill Road, close to St. Bernadette's Church. There's no ability where they set up. You could not do a U-turn. So when you come down the hill at Old King Mill, you see it sitting there. And unless you want to turn into the street that goes to the Little League fields for West Springfield, that was the only way to get around it. So they, I went through that one about three times. And I would have great fun with them. I had my kids in the car one time. And I said, watch this. And I had all kinds of fun with the officer cracking my window about half an inch and him saying, why won't you run on your window? And I said, I don't, I don't have to. I can hear you fine. You can hear me fine. And we went back and forth. And <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. I guess I taught my kids a bad lesson about not being respectful <laughs> to the officer. But <laughs> constitutional rights too i mean you got it they, it's a good lesson you're teaching them they do have the right to not incriminate themselves or to let the officers try to use something they're saying or observing to cause an investigation well you've all you could go on youtube and you can 
search for this dozens and dozens of these videos of guys have posted where they pull up to the uh, roadblock and they don't roll the window down. They slap a piece of paper up against the window. They also put their driver's license and say, here it is. I'm not rolling down my window. You can see my driver's license. I'm, am I free to go? And the officers go back and forth. There's a lot of pretty comical ones to watch. You look at YouTube and just watch those. Crazy. Well, I do, you know, I want to go back to that flashlight because I'm interested as a parent for that flashlight. <laughs> Like, I would, like, is there a parent magazine where we can get, like, the flashlights that detect the odor of alcohol? <laughs> like, all go, the things? Go into your kid's room and flash and say, uh-huh. It's just like, mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, I just, look, because you know what? It's not a democracy. My house. <laughs> like, you're under 18 in my house. It's not a democracy. I just got to make sure nobody's drinking my booze, period. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, my little brother, I was, like, I was 21, got a great bottle of Bundaberg black rum from Ooh. Australia and it was great and, it, and they don't make it anymore. And so I got this bottle and my brother was in, I guess, 16, 17. He takes that bottle and he drinks it. He thinks it's my parents. So he fills it up with water or like half of it. Like he mixes the rum. I'm like, you did what? So they would look like a full bottle. I was like, that was my rum. I don't <laughs> like you ruined a perfectly good bottle. Like I just, so it also, hopefully that flashlight works on little brothers, although he's now 40. So at this point, he should probably not be filling up my room with that. But God, oh, my brother would just drink my brother's moonshine and then fill it back up with water and put it in the freezer. And we're like, hey, dumbass, <laughs> it doesn't water freezes. <laughs> my brother would bust Your my other brother every time he would get it. He would be like, you drank my stuff. He's like, no, I didn't. He's like, it doesn't freeze. <laughs> Frozen. <laughs> Maybe well, I'm, <laughs> I'm guess I'm wondering as I, as I watch society go back and forth and things change, people arguing about whether they want to wear a mask or whether they want to get vaccinated. How does the public feel about the concept of being pulled over for no particular reason other than they want to just check and see if you're okay? I'm driving down the road. I want to go home. It's 830 at night. I had a long day. And now I've got to wait in a roadblock that may take 10 or 15 minutes to be how many cars in front of me just for them to ask me, have you been drinking? I don't, I don't want to go with that. I mean, why should I have to? I mean, I've done nothing wrong. Why am I being stopped? So, you know, this is the government telling me we're going to pull you over checkpoints and see if you're okay or see if you have anything in the car with you. So, I'd be interested to find out if we could ever do some kind of a statistical poll among you know, citizens. How do you feel about roadblocks being pulled over when they've got no reason to think you've done anything wrong? I think you're going to have a mixed bag. You're going to have people that are okay with it because they don't want drunk drivers or people that have warrants out or, or anything like that being out and about. You're going to have other people that feel like their rights are being violated. I think you're going to get a split. Well, and I think it's going to be, I don't know. I think a lot of people are pretty, don't want to be pulled over. And I frankly, police don't want to be pulling over people at roadblocks. And this is really not a great time, as you said, for being, basically pulling people over just because they're existing and they happen to be driving on that road. It feels, it's like a lot of things that aren't unconstitutional, but feel like they should be. And it's funny. I think we talked about this before the podcast is that there's, there's drug, you know, drug checkpoints are unconstitutional, but somehow DUIs have made it past that unconstitutionality portion of it. And I just, I can't imagine as the way that the sort of civil liberties movement as it's going these days, both on the right and the left, you know, on the right, it's, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to, I don't want to do all these other things on the left. It's, you know, I don't want to be pulled over. You know, you're pulling me over because, you know, I'm a woman. I'm, I am, you know, another race than the police that I'm being profiled. There's a lot of reasons we don't want to have contact with the police. And frankly, 
I would say that looking at the number of tickets that are being written recently and, and warrants that are being issued, I don't think the police really want to have that much contact with public just based on what I'm seeing in Northern Virginia. That could be another reason why they're not utilizing the roadblocks either that often, because they why expose yourself to stopping more people and having more interactions with people just on an arbitrary basis, you know, just because they exist, as you say, and really run the risk of spreading COVID. You know, it's like, why would they do the roadblock now? It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense either. But I think it's going to, I think they're going to start using it again. And and Anne brought this up. They've taken away, rightfully so, many of these, uh, what used to be primary stops, dangling objects, odor marijuana. What else? Help me out, guys. Like Inspection sticker, inspection uh, registration. Defective equipment, like the brake lights. Right. So now, since the police can't stop people for that, they may have to utilize the roadblock. So hopefully we'll have people a little bit more prepared. And I like what, what Matt was saying. There's probably ways to, I'm not, you know, there, there are ways. There are ways to, to protect yourself. And, and I think if you listen to a lot of our podcasts, the first thing you have to do is really uh, shut the front door. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but then you're leading to other things because marijuana is legal now. It's just not sure. legal to be using it in the car or to be impaired while you're driving. And we all know it's hard to prove those cases unless you're really, really showing symptoms or at levels that the toxicologist can say are impairment level. And there's so many factors that go into that based on how long you've been using and when you used and how much you use. (laughs) Well, they still haven't even come up with a a constant level of THC that's supposedly enough to be in your your system to impair your driving. And you're right, the amount of usage and your ability to build up a tolerance to it. uh, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to come up with a particular level like alcohol that can say once you reach this point, that's impairment. Were any of you practicing when the DUI limit was 0.10? No. Okay, here's my point. When I first started practicing, if you if you rolled into court with a DUI and you were 0.08, you got it. You got a reckless. You got whatever. Not a problem. And all of a sudden, we realized, oh, well, that's uh, we're going to lower this down from 1.0 to 0.08. Now, so my point was, well, let me get this straight. Now you're telling me 0.08 is impaired, but 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it wasn't impaired. So what happened wasn't there? Wasn't it one I mean, five? Wasn't it a one five? Yes. One point was one five. Five. Yes. But, but I think you've all had people that at 0. 0.08, 0. 0.07, 0. 0.09 are way drunker and yep. not able to function more than some people that you've seen at a 0. 0.15 or even a 0. 0.20 sometimes. Like, I mean, there's no rhyme of reason to that. It's based on people's tolerance or how their body is processing yep. it. Yeah, I had a guy, I mean, I had a guy hypothetically that was a three six. And he passed all the tests. He drove fine. He just was pulled over for bad tags. And deputy got him to take a PBT, which he blew a two nine. Yeah, and cases. and but you know he was a longtime alcoholic. And it bothers me. It bothers me about the not that people should be drinking and driving, but the point is impairment, right? The point is drinking to the point where you're impaired. And so with the numbers, they're just sort of like, well, for like people who are just regular drinkers and 08, like for me at an 08, I'm done for the night. Like that's, that's too much, that's but I don't drink very much. <laughs> that's that's so, just a good night nice starting now. I was going to say, I'm just getting started. <laughs> but some people wake up at an 08, at a 15. So I haven't done a, podca- it, a podcast under a 0.08. <laughs> <laughs> that's like day drinkers. Like there's some people that can drink all day and they're okay. And there's some people that they hit a wall and they're done within a few hours. Like nap time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's like, I have to be a 0.08 to get through the listening to Alberto, but. At the same time, yeah, well, I don't I'm not that. driving anywhere. I'm just sitting in my <laughs> my comfortable house. But well, yeah, no, my, my point of robots is what I couldn't wrap my head around is when this came came out 20 years ago. 
And it talked about how it literally was a minimal intrusion. They did, you pulled up to a roadblock, and it would say narcotics checkpoint. And they just simply asked you for your driver's license, and they walked a dog around your car to see if it would hit. So there was a minimal intrusion as far as time. But the court said, that's unconstitutional. I kept saying, well, how is that any different when you pull somebody over for DUI? But and that's what that's why Rehnquist in his dissented opinion, he wrote a very lengthy dissented opinion saying, you've now opened the door to attack DUI roadblocks because what difference is there between a minimal DUI roadblock versus a minimal drug roadblock? And there's no difference. Well, but this they is try, a chance they, they, to make new law. Now you've got legal things like marijuana and it's your chance if you do get one like that that you can seize on the opportunity to create some new good law. And you know, the no. thing is about roadblocks is I think they will come back because as Anne was saying, I also think just as we are talking about people wanting freedom, there are people that want freedom from drinking and driving. If you get an uptick in drunk driving or if there's cases where kids die or you know too much drinking is going on and, and bad things happen, I bet you better believe there'll be a political will behind putting out some roadblocks well, no, and doing against, those again. Yeah, you know, Matt has been a consistent, I don't know whether, again, this is going back when you all before you practice, but there were, there were days when Maybe they still do it. Representatives from MAD would yeah. sit in courtrooms and yep. they would they, they would write letters to the judges saying, I can't believe you let this person go where you found this person not guilty. So there's a lot of political oomph behind that movement. And I understand the reason why. And of course, there's legitimate concerns about we don't want people out there driving drunk. But my point is, pulling me over without any individualized suspicion of wrongdoing, that's what that's what Clarence Thomas said. The framers of our Constitution probably would, would not be thrilled with the concept of pulling people over like that or just randomly grabbing them. It's like having the British soldiers in your house. It's not cool. Like, That's right. It's really messed up. So I had a, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell a, a quick story. None of them are quick, but you should apologize because it I won't be, it so won't sorry. be quick. I, I had a, <laughs> we're so mean to Alberto. <laughs> I love it. I, I, to me, it's, it's the way that you guys express your love. I know it. Um, so I had a case in Loudoun County, hypothetically, and it was a roadblock and went to trial and the Commonwealth did not have the plan with them. The judge continued the case out for me to brief it. And I briefed it and I said, look, all this, all these cases over here say you need a plan. Well, anyway, I lost the case and I appealed it. But of course, when I appealed it, all of a sudden the Commonwealth had a plan. So <laughs> I'm like, you have got yeah. to be kidding. So, anyhow, right. so I was talking about this case to Matt Kensky, another friend of, of ours. And Matt is an encyclopedia of, of law, case law. I have him on many of my, I've had him on many of my CLEs discussing updates and stuff. After I spoke with him we, at length and we expressed ideas about cases and stuff like that, two days later, I get a call from some random person, random number. I answer the call and the guy's like, hello, my name's so-and-so. I'm from WKRP in, in, in Houston, not Cincinnati. Somewhere. But he's like, I'm a radio guy. I got your number from Matt Kensky. He says, you uh, you recently had a roadblock case and I want to talk to you about it because you have all the case law fresh in your mind. And I, I had some issues. And I go, listen, buddy, it's April 1st. I go, ha, ha, ha. Uh, Matt Kensky, you're calling from Houston? Matt Kensky's over there. Yeah. go. I start cursing this guy out saying, listen, I know it's an April Fool's joke. Go F off. I can't believe this is the dumbest thing ever. The guy goes, no, no, sir. Seriously, I'm so-and-so from Houston, WKRP, whatever. And I'm like, listen, tell me, put Matt on the phone. Tell him he's a piece of ass, all this stuff. I mean, I go, after a while, the guy goes, look, please just look it up online. Sure enough, it was a legitimate call from a real lady. Uh, and the guy hung up on me. I never got on the radio. <laughs> and that's how Alberto almost became famous in Houston. Almost in Houston. You know Houston. what they say about <laughs> assumptions. 
Wait, yes. it was April 1st. And who, who would call a Virginia attorney about a Houston roadblock? And But it makes sense because it only has to deal with constitutionality. Like what Matt says, here you, here you have a Supreme Court case. We have Thomas and Rehnquist. They're saying, wait a second here. How can you say it's unconstitutional just for narcotics, but it's okay for DWIs? And it's the same intrusion. Really, if you break it down, it's the same setup, but how can they just pick drugs over? The majority of opinions seem to focus on what they were concerned was that you're just stopping people on the lookout for criminal behavior. And that's the unconstitutional. I thought, wait a minute. And every time I, I used to do this, I used to cross-examine the officer when I, on the roadblocks. I said, you're just looking for people who are drunk, right? Well, yes, counsel. So you're looking for people who've committed crime. Yes. So you are looking for criminal activity, right? And I would go, your honors, that's what the Supreme Court said you can't do. You can't set roadblocks up to look for criminal activity. And then none of the judges in Fairfax or anybody else just, just, they would just roll their eyes and say, that's very nice, Mr. McConnell, please sit down. So, um, <laughs> They would roll so that's their like, hypothetical eyes. I just that's covered true. you. No, <laughs> Most of those judges are no lo- longer with us, but uh, anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Roblox are, have always, I like when Roblox come in because they are not your run-of-the-mill DWI and you already have at least a dozen issues more that you could spot or look for in a DWI. It's extra hard for the Commonwealth to, to prove the case. And, and those are the ones we look for. So listen, if you have a DWI out there and it's a roadblock, start talking to an attorney right away. As soon as you get out of jail, make some phone calls and get an attorney because there's something. I want to, I was thinking, I want to explain to people why, you know, think, oh, get everybody there. Why is it such a big deal for the government? Why is it so hard? First of all, there's a lot of cases. I mean, there are fewer now, but there's still, you know, 10 or 15 DUIs in every courtroom that has a traffic courtroom on a regular day. You know, there's a lot going on. You have to have officers, people who are off. If you have a roadblock, you have people who aren't on their shift or whatever that have to be brought. It is a huge task. You know, the government isn't, there's not enough money and enough courtrooms, enough judges to prosecute and do all of the cases that need to be done. They just, state court is a lot like triage. And when you get a knowledgeable defense attorney in a particular area, especially large areas where you've got to move a lot of cases, you know, knowing this roadblock information, knowing the DUI defenses is so key because you're basically, you know, it's it's not done in a vacuum. It's not like there's one prosecutor with your case. That's the only case that they have. They're dealing with a lot of things and organizing a huge roadblock case is the last thing any prosecutor wants to do. And they've got a docket that starts at 930, ends it whenever it ends. And then they have another docket perhaps that starts at two and ends whenever it ends. And it, you know, so there's a lot of things that go into law that has a lot to do with how do we as defense attorneys push hard so that we can, you know, realize the Commonwealth has a certain amount of resources and they're not going to be able to marshal them all in all of their cases. Um, like the blood so- dockets. I mean, they have morning and afternoon dockets now and they have to get started right on time and they got to be ready to go with pleas or trials. And they select yeah. certain dates when all the scientists have to come to court for that one docket. Makes it a little bit easier for the Commonwealth. It does, but then at the same time, they still need it with blood cases. Usually there's accidents. Usually there's EMTs or other people. And if one person is sick or isn't there, those cases are set way far in advance. You know, It can throw the whole thing off. It's not really easy to do. And so having a lawyer like Matt, who knows all the technicalities of the plans and things like that. But I can tell you, when I started, I see guys like Matt, like I was a public defender. I see guys like Matt we win these cases or try these cases. And everybody would tell me, you got to ask for the plan. You got to, these are the things you would ask for. And I would ask for it, but I was like, 
what am I looking for? Like, I had no idea what I was doing. So, but thank goodness we got to watch the trials of folks like Matt and Alberto on April Fool's Day and things like that. And John, well, you guys still sit and watch trials. I mean, I think a lot of pe- people yeah. that we know try to watch when they can. I mean, you get busy and can't always do it. I think Tony tries every day <laughs> to watch somebody try a case and people I, try I to watch that. him. It's so much easier now, if you will, because of the dash cams and the body cams. Because when I first started practicing, none of that existed. So it was clearly the officer's words was golden. I mean, how your guy performed in the field test, you had no way of disputing that unless there was some independent witness who happened to be there. So I would constantly lose DUI cases where I thought I had reasonable fit because here's the officer or officers testifying, and I had no way to rebut that. And my client would tell me that's not what happened. I mean, I didn't do that. Or that you know, he said this to me. That, so now on, on roadblock cases, and I'm surprisingly, the last couple I've had, the Commonwealth, the, the prosecutor, was unaware that it was a roadblock case. They had not even talked to the officer. So I roll in there and say, I'm ready to go to trial. And they realize they've got to have multiple witnesses. They've got to have the plan. They've got to have the supervisor or the lieutenant who's supposed to be there making sure the officer, you've got multiple officers who oftentimes have multiple angles on the video. I want all of that. And if they can't produce it, I'm jumping up and down saying, you know, I've got all kinds of issues here, which is why you're right. Maybe we'll see less and less roadblock cases because they are more difficult for them to put together. But it's much easier now to try and do those than it was back in the uh, mid nineties, trust me. Yeah. And really until the, I mean, the body, the body cams just came out really in the last couple of years. And then with dash cams, they had them sort of when I started about 18 years ago, but they were like a VHS tape and it was not, it was not great technology and they're often overwritten. And sometimes the cars had them and sometimes they didn't. Um, and if the car was pointed well, in the wrong direction. Well, yes, you also had you also, right, you also had the officers that would uh, take the, uh, the uh, defendant off the camera angle. Or I've had cases where they turned the dash cam to the left and they took the person to the right. So they purposely weren't on cameras and that that's hopefully stopped all that nonsense. Or turning well. the audio off too a lot of times. That, happen, that happens a lot. And I've, I've had judges, I mean, I've had, I had several cases where I, on the video you can see the officer purposely reaching down and turning the audio off. And I'm saying, judge, they're interacting with my client. I don't know what questions they asked. I don't know how he responded. They're telling me he slurred his speech, but now I can't hear that because and I can see on the video they purposely turned off the microphone. So I mean, right. I guess some of that goes on too. And it's important to know, have an attorney who knows the differences. Um... And Fairfax, they have standard operating procedures, which all the departments yes. have too, which they're not supposed to be doing those things. Right. So. But you still have jurisdictions like City of Alexandria that they don't have, they don't utilize cameras at all. You don't have the same thing with the, the uh, Metropolitan Washington Airport right. Authority. They don't have the cameras there either. And some jurisdictions only have body cam, like Prince William. They only have the body cam. You don't have the cruiser cam. So you don't see any of the driving behavior. You just see the body cam and you always see them hitting the mic on certain times. They, they try to keep it when they're walking away from the defendant, but they turn off their mics when they're having a conversation with other police officers and they come back yep. and turn it on, which I can yep. understand. But what are they talking about? Are they deciding how they're going to proceed on the case? Are they deciding, well, maybe did you smell that odor of alcohol? One person said, no, the other guy said, well, yeah, yeah, I did smell something. You know, it's it's the video. I kind of think you just let it go. Look, if you're going to be out there doing it, let, I want to hear what they're talking about. Well, if that's what's important to get all the videos. I've had a number of cases recently where one video picked up dialogues and the other ones didn't. And I've had, just like I said, I've had conversations with the officer where the arresting officer walks up to someone else and, did you talk to the defendant? Yeah, did you smell anything? No, I didn't smell anything. He's fine. That conversation is not coming in unless you someone get that video. And because that's, that's what you have to make sure you ask, figure out how many officers were there and who said what to whom. And Loudoun County, I've had several, I literally got six or seven different discs 
with like four or five different officers, and they're, they're all saying different things. And so my biggest thing recently about Hammond issue about consensual, but that's another, that's for another topic that's about another episode. Another topic, but yeah. Are you trying to get on a second episode? <laughs> People try. I just got a text from Chris Holly who said said to say hello, and he's been on two of our episodes. He's like he's angling for a third. Well, that's my other soapbox issue is the Hammond issue. We'll come back to some other time, but I've been I've been having that come up a lot as far as consensual doing field tests, and I've had videos. I've caught several officers being less than truthful about what happened. And uh, in fact, I did, I did a big one kind of a few months ago or months ago. He just kind of laughed at me and said, "Oh no, motion to suppress denied," but it was pretty clear as to what happened. And uh, the officer was rather embarrassed when I showed him the videotape of what he actually said versus what he wrote in his notes. Also, that I also still do think we have me to this day. They sit around for hours sometimes and don't review their videos and then get um, up and testify to things that are completely contradictory to the video. Yes. Or they write reports that don't match up. And I just can't yeah. imagine something where you know an attorney is going to be after and, you on every little inconsistency that you would do that without reviewing it. And the reason why, Anne, is because the majority of these cases still did not go to trial. And you have attorneys like us who are out there going to trial on more you know more times than not we're going to trial on DWIs. So we catch a lot of things that are going on. So an officer may not be 100 percent prepared because it's tough for them to watch all those videos and still, you know, it's it's not the best well, thing. If but you do, you would- the thing is if you do one arrest, I mean here's the thing. It's like if it's fresh in your mind, I mean, but I watched a video one time with a trooper and this is obviously I was watching the trooper. It was when we, we had VHS. He had his complaint. And I read the complaint. I'm like, oh, this looks really bad for my guy. So I'm watching the video, which doesn't look like the complaint. And I'm like, so you said he put his foot down six times on the one-legged stand. He's been holding his leg up this whole time. It is on the side of 495. And in fact, at one point, a tractor trailer goes by. And he does like lift his leg up because he's thinking he's going to get hit by a tractor trailer. But he doesn't ever put it down. And I'm like, so I'm looking at that. And I'm showing him. And he's like, no, nope, looks fine to me. Looks like. But I'm like, so you know. I'm going to, we're going to go to trial here, right? Like if we're going to, you're, this is going to look like you're a big fat liar. And then after the trial, he said, you made me look like a big fat liar. I was like, well, I gave you a chance. I could have could have worked this out in a way that's, that's not a DUI. But that's where the videos are important. It helps both ways. It yes. helps when officers are doing things that maybe we can challenge that don't meet the constitutional requirements or the legal requirements. But it also helps with clients to say, I didn't do that. And then you show them, you know, I had one argue one time. Yes. I, didn't, I did not stop at that late that or whatever it was. And then we shot the officers like I have the video and we watched it at court. And you know, it was way back in the day before they would give us copies. And we went in the room, she watched it and she was like, oh, <laughs> I mean, it helps to explain to your client this is really what was going on here. Oddly enough, they don't usually have a very good recollection of what happened that night, surprisingly. And so they, <laughs> I, I get that a lot. Some of them have really good recollections. Mine always say, oh, I passed all those tests. I did wonderful. I'm, I'm going to watch the video. I'm like, that, that is you in the video, right? And they're like, oh, wow. Let's but, just say hypothetically. Uh, hypothetically. Well, I'm not even going to get into this. Man. This is just so, <laughs> I cannot forget it. It would be interesting to see if we have, anybody gets a roadblock case in the future where we now have videos to show the interaction when they come up to the window, have them roll down the window and see what the conversation is and see why they pulled, had them pull over to do further testing on them. You know, them that's, the an interesting, that's an interesting point there, Matt. I, I've seen a decline in roadblocks. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that body cams are now being utilized. I, I think it does. I think the officers 
to be honest with you, they realize that they're, they're, they're a lot more accountable now because everything they do and say is right there. So you better be on the up and up, better do this correctly, or someone like one of you all or me are going to have fun in court challenging what they did. Like, literally, the, what I referred to in Loudoun County, the officer actually wrote on the, not on the criminal complaint, but on his notes that I got a copy of, that he asked the defendant if she would be, you know, would she would consent to field test. She agreed to do this field test. The videotape was completely opposite. The officer simply told her, I'm going to have you do these tests. And I saw, we played the video in court. I said, officer, show me the part where you ask her if she will consent. Show me the part where she consents. He got all red faced to look at me. I said, I guess we're not going to see that part, right? So can you imagine having to watch two, because roadblocks are usually two or three hours long. Can you imagine every Ugh. body cam officer for the entirety of that roadblock that we would have to watch? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think a roadblock defense probably just went up uh, maybe 15 times what I normally charge. So yeah, at least 150 bucks. Yeah, at least 150. <laughs> exactly. Well, anyway, Matt, thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure. Pleasure. I, to be you here. Know, it, it's the roadblocks are, 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 look, they still happen. And hopefully you'll, people, uh, hopefully, not you, Matt. Hopefully you won't have another half dozen to deal with. But, uh, <laughs> I go out. I go out and look for them sometimes, just for the fun of it. <laughs> Seriously, I've done that. I get I get bored on a weekend. I'll go find where one is and drive through it just to see how it goes. Do you hand out cards like <laughs> throw them out the window? <laughs> they need to get That's a littering chart. They need to get a littering chart. <laughs> They're like you, you again. <laughs> Matt loves roadblocks so much he puts roadblocks on. He just gets got a whole bunch of cones and <laughs> stop people. But anyhow. Thank you very much for coming on, Matt. It was, uh, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us on Crime Time. Please join us again for our next episode. Mm-hmm.